Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 137 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Romans chapter 3 today and our focus is on the gospel in a nutshell and how is Jesus the mercy seat and payment for our sins. So thanks for joining us. We are a daily 10, 11, 12, sometimes a little more minute podcast where we discuss the Word of God one chapter at a time. Our goal is to encourage you in daily Bible listening, hearing, and obeying. Thank you for joining us. Please do share the show with your friends and neighbors. Let them know about it and invite them to jump on. They can subscribe through Apple Podcasts or in a variety of ways by checking out our website, Bible2021.com. So perhaps if you are of a certain age, you are familiar with what is called the Roman Road of Salvation. No, it's not an old road in Rome that somehow led to Jesus or anything like that. Instead, it's a series of verses in Romans that were used to proclaim the gospel. Basically, it goes like this. Starting in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's in our passage today. Then Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Then Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then Romans 10.9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Finally, Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's the Romans road. Share these five passages basically is how it works and with somebody and then ask them to pray the prayer of salvation. Now, I'm not sure when the Roman road of salvation came into play, when that became a thing for Christians looking to share their faith, but there's certainly a reason it was quite popular because these five passages, which represent six verses in total, basically lay out the core of the good news. Everybody has sinned. The reward or payment for sin is death. God loves us, though, and sent Christ to die on the cross to pay for our sins, believing in faith that God raised Jesus from the dead, saying he is Lord out loud, and calling upon the name of the Lord is the way to salvation. It's very succinct, very compressed, theologically accurate, and just a great way to nutshell the gospel, bring it down to its simplest form, so to speak. Now, that said, you can pretty much do something very similar with our passage today in an even shorter, more compressed way because the middle of Romans 3 contains some of the most profound but short theological truths in the entire Bible. So let's read three and a half verses from Romans 3.22 through half of Romans 3.25. Paul writes, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith. So the good news in these three and a half verses shows us that all human beings are guilty of sin and therefore are unable to enter into God's glorious presence or dwell in God's glorious heaven. By a gracious offer, grace undeserved, not by merit or class or charisma or looks or power or works, 
God's righteousness and justification is available through faith to wipe the slate of our sins clean and make us righteous in God's eyes and thus able to enter heaven. The door is open to heaven because Jesus' sacrifice is the mercy payment for our sin, and that payment is applied to us by faith. And that's the good news in a nutshell, in one beautiful section of Scripture. Now, of course, it doesn't explain everything, but it is the core of the gospel compressed, honestly, about as much as you can compress it without losing something critical. The good news in three and a half verses, and you can take those verses and immediately go as deep as a thousand oceans. Let's start with one small word. The words translated by the CSB as mercy seat is just one word in the Greek, and by the King James Version as propitiation. That word, my friends, is a deep, deep word. It's the same Greek word that's used in Hebrews 9.5 to designate the cover of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, which is the deepest and most holy part of the tabernacle, where once a year, one single priest went in and sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the cover of the Ark the mercy seat, as an atoning payment for the sins of the people. Well, Jesus is now that mercy seat, and the blood sprinkled on it is his own blood. Well, let's read our passage, then we're going to turn to Charles Spurgeon to help us better understand its depth. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. So what advantage does the Jew have, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Well, considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. What then? If some were unfaithful, were their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I'm using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I'm using a human argument. Is God's unright, is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if by my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim, we say, let us do evil so that good may come their condemnation is deserved. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 
They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Well, amen. Now, Spurgeon is going to help us understand the depth of just a small part of this passage, the whole business of the mercy seat, Jesus being the mercy seat or Jesus being a propitiation. Spurgeon quotes that saying, him hath God set forth to be a propitiation, which is Romans 3 from the King James Version. And he says, Sinner, listen, and if thou hast already accepted that which the Father has revealed, let your joy become full. God has set forth Christ as being a propitiation. The Greek word is hilasterion, which being translated may mean a mercy seat or a covering. Now God has said to the sinner, Do you desire to meet me? Would you no longer be my enemy? Will you tell me your sorrows? Would you receive my blessing? Would you establish a relationship between your creator and your soul? I set forth Christ to you as being the mercy seat where I can meet with you and you can meet with me. Or take the word as signifying a covering. As the mercy seat covered the tables of the law and so covered that which was the cause of divine anger because we had broken his commandment. Would you have anything which can cover your sin? Cover it from me, thy God, so that I need not be provoked to anger. Cover it from you so that you need not be cowed with excessive fear and tremble to approach me as thou did when I came in thunder and lightning upon Mount Sinai. Would you have a shelter which will hide altogether your sins and iniquities? I set it forth to you in the person of my bleeding son as the covering. Trust in his blood and your sin is covered from my eyes. It shall be covered from your own eyes too. And being justified by faith, you shall have peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. Oh, that we may have grace to accept now what God the Father sets forth. The Romish priest, in other words, a Roman Catholic priest, sets forth this and that, and our own Romish hearts set forth such and such another thing, but God puts forth Jesus. The preacher of doctrine sets forth a dogma, the preacher of experience sets forth a feeling. The preacher of practice often sets forth an effort. But God puts before you Jesus Christ. Here will I meet with you. This is the place of my rest. Glorious to me, safe to you. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. You will come to me. The Lord Almighty comes to Christ and there he comes to you. God then has set forth Jesus Christ, made him conspicuous as being the mercy seat and the great hider of sin. And that's what our passage means today, that Jesus as the mercy seat covers our sin from us, covers our sin from God, and pays the price as a propitiation, which means a mercy payment for our sin. It's the most wonderful good news you could possibly hear. 
meditate, friends, on that passage in Romans. Let's close today with another verse worth meditating on, the Great Commission, our Bible verse of the month for May, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.